Welcome to the Upstack Podcast, an ever-evolving conversation on all things digital infrastructure, giving tech leaders food for thought as they push to stay ahead of the technology curve. I'm Alex Cole, and with my co-host and colleague, Greg Moss, we invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the latest technology infrastructure topics. Stay with us. Today is the inaugural episode of the Upstack Podcast. Well, we're going to have some fun today and, and more importantly, cover some key topics. And, and to the listener, or hopefully listeners out there, uh, we are honored to welcome Kevin Sanders as our very first guest on the Upstack Thank Podcast. Thank you. Uh, hopefully this won't hopefully, be the last podcast. <laughs> I was going to say, hopefully you're willing to come back. Uh, you're always welcome. As a guest in the Upstack Podcast, you're always welcome to come back whenever you see fit. Uh, but Kevin, uh, allow me to, to, to share your background and some of your bona fides. So you're a principal consultant, data center strategy at EYP Mission Critical Facilities. You've got over 35 years of experience, not only in planning and design, but also implementation and management of data centers, info systems, network communication systems, and many other things as well. You're a proud grandfather, as we established in our, in our pre-call, and frankly, an all-around fascinating person. Today's episode is all about power, but maybe that's the wrong context. Energy might be more, more accurate. It's energy in the context of data centers. It's, re it's really about where, where is power today? I mean, the, right. the, the power market just seems to be everywhere. And I think a lot of people are having trouble uh, looking at its future and, and what does it mean to them as businesses? So one of the first topics I'd like to kind of touch on Kevin, and, and really hear more about is um, these the notion of moratoriums, and they're becoming more and more yeah. commonplace yeah. in the market. I mean, first Singapore, now Dublin. Um, Ashburn seems to be on the list of uh, an yeah. up-and-coming moratorium, and I think this is posing uh, a lot of issues for, for customers that uh, need to reach these markets and will fast, fastly need alternatives. You know, what are their options? Yeah. Is this yeah. is the constant? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the context of the power discussions in the last sort of 10 years, um, we never thought we would have to compete for the availability of power, you know, um, in the U.S. in particular, to a slightly lesser extent in Europe. We always felt that um, if the power requirement was there, it was simply a matter of time for the infrastructure to be brought in. Uh, in the last uh, couple of years, the whole issue around, you know, re resiliency and, um, you know, the sort of green energy uh, you know, campaigns have put small amounts of pressure on the market, but the growth in the use of power for data centers owned by corporations, co-location facilities, uh, Bitcoin miners, um, and the increase in use of electricity um, in other markets that we hadn't seen, you know, has put a lot of pressure on the infrastructure. And so if you look at a place like Ashburn that went from, all the power Dominion could possibly provide, you know, for a number of years to a situation where they're they're in trouble now in terms of having to supply it within the confines of what was the Ashburn market. And now moving out uh, outside of that market, um, you have a couple of uh, you have a couple of things you're competing with. It's not just the actual power itself or how I'm going to produce it, although th that is an issue. 
it's the infrastructure to deliver it to these locations takes many years and chews up a lot of capital. So even if you want to move out of a given area and develop another location, that infrastructure has to be brought in. That's a large amount of you know um, capital investment. The other thing is the market started to pivot in terms of power, particularly, again, to, to data centers. A few years ago, there was this push to let's try and find additional alternative energy supplies. So there was a move three, four years ago to gas-fired turbines um, that would uh, provide significant amount of power to data center campuses. The problem with that, um, you know, I call those sort of, um, uh, you know, political moratoriums where the use of natural gas is now becoming restricted in several locations in the U.S. and potentially in Europe. And so that's slowing down that as, a, as an off-ramp to providing power localized. We've also always talked about the use of um, wind and solar. And while those are you know, particularly good, they do come with downsides. The wind isn't always there and the sun isn't always shining. And if you're building um, you know, a data center in particular and you want to have the kind of resiliency at a tier three level, you, have to, you still have to have regular power backup capable of carrying the entire data center, which means at some point, you can't completely replace, um, you know, the available utility level power. And so there has been this development and discussion around the use of microgrids, which is let's use wind and or solar or other alternatives. Let's use battery storage locally. We'll use battery storage as the buffer for wind and solar over a short period of time. We'll still have diesel backup and utility as the third level. And we'll try and achieve essentially what a tier three standard would look like. And that development is just becoming um, apparent. The economics seem to be there. There are a few clients who we're working with right now who are developing pretty robust micro microgrid uh, capabilities throughout the U.S. There are some going on in, uh, in Europe. So Europe, another issue, the political availability of gas and the impact that that's going to have on um, on uh, on that in in their power market is one thing and um, that transcends the existing situation with Ukraine and Russia in that I think the Europeans are going to try and permanently uh, wean themselves off of large-scale single source which means they're going to start doing multiple development in other areas um, really interesting a um, couple of weeks ago, the EU passed an advisory to um, the, particularly in, in the Nordics, those locations that use uh, district heating. If you're familiar with that, in many countries, heating isn't done within the confines of a house. It's there's a district heating plant that either the government or a private entity runs. They're saying that um, data centers need to share their heat output using heat pumps back and forth between um, the district heating locations as a way of beginning to come up with alternate methods of supporting large-scale data center uh, power consumption. And so there are going to be layers added to providing power both in the U.S. and Europe. As is always, there isn't going to be a single source solution. It's going to be layer upon layer upon layer of good engineering to allow multiple power capabilities to begin to reduce the need. And that begins to ease the requirement for moratoriums, you know, in given locations. So Kevin, we talk, we talk about moratoriums and you mentioned easing. So you do feel like this isn't for the long term, like moratoriums may be changed or lifted 
in the I think future, there are symptoms. maybe not near future. Okay. Yeah, and I think moratoriums are one of the symptoms. You'll see more. So moratoriums really fall under the class of, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, putting a controls over the amount of power, traditional utility power in a given area. But there are others other than just a moratorium in that area. You know, the availability becomes one. Uh, the engineering requirements become another. Um, safety requirements become another. So moratoriums may get eased, but other requirements, such as legislation requiring you to use alternate energy sources, and um, they can be as equally disruptive in a market because they can have an immediate impact on the cost to deliver services to the end user. So, you know, Singapore was supposed to be a two-year moratorium, and now mm -hmm. it just seems like it's an indefinite moratorium. Yeah. I mean, is there an end in sight? I mean, you know, you talk about all these great and creative ways to kind of offset and, and come out of a moratorium. I mean, are these, is this a year in the making? Is it two no, years there's, in the No, there's really no good prediction per se. Uh, part of it is an engineering crisis of uh, being able, again, to have the transmission and the feeds into the traditional sectors in the Singapore, if you understand how Singapore is, is laid out, there are a huge concentration of data centers being built in the downtown area. Um, they, begin to, they began to back off and go um, to, the, to the north and the west slightly, uh, developing external uh, resource capabilities. Huge amount of data center developers went into there, and then there was a return back to the downtown uh, locations. And so there needs to be an infrastructure investment in the transmission capabilities, but just in terms of sheer power and the energy requirements, um, it's becoming an issue. There are some subtle issues also about data centers being within the the large-scale business uh, facilities, large um, office towers, and the impact that COVID had on people coming in and wanting to be in the city. So you have this back-and-forth geographic requirement. Do we stay out in the fringes just outside the major downtown area? Do we stay within the existing infrastructure? That's one pressure. I just think it's the sheer engineering um, and the availability of the power grid that has to catch up. Large-scale capital investment, many years to get that done. Um, and I think that there, anyone who makes a prediction that it's going to be solved in a year or two um, I think it's overly optimistic. I think it will be solved. Um, Singaporean government is always very clever in how they handle these kinds of issues. But I think you're conceivably looking at a, um, uh, you know, what I call a 3-3-1, three, three, three years to analyze and fix, three years to start building and get, and then three years to roll out. So you're looking at a, a six to nine year period and one year of use going, it works. Now what's the next step? <laughs> so patience is what we're recommending yes. for all those involved. And that's going to have impact it, on pricing because what's available begs, is going to get locked up. Right. It does beg the question, customers, how, how do companies operate in this type of environment with moratoriums in general and, and the time it will take to move beyond them? I mean, Greg, you touched on Singapore and how it's this kind of seems like an indefinite moratorium. And then, Kevin, you also touched on using Ashford as an example and the issue around transmission to, to move to another location in the general vicinity doesn't necessarily fix the entire problem. So it, it doesn't. Do we throw our hands up in the air or how do we navigate no. this space? No, I, I think, you know, cu curiously enough, the there has never been master planning for, you know, this market uh, before because this market hasn't put this kind of pressure on it. I think what you're going to begin to see is public utilities commissioners in major states turning to the power providers 
and the data center providers and major corporations and say, we have to do some planning here. Um, and we have to talk about how we're going to do the transmission allocation, where the investments would be. I think you're going to begin to see some uh, tax relief coming from various states into particular sectors. If you look at, if you go out from Ashburn, you begin to get into the locations that were old-scale manufacturing facilities that were have been abandoned. And they had significant, not huge, but significant amounts of power which have, were brought to those facilities. And it's great to get those reused, but it's, it's not enough and it's not clustered correctly. And so there needs to be some, you know, the old phrase, urban planning done on how we're going to reallocate that and the impact it's going to have to rate payers. And I think you're also going to see some um, changes in the way um, rates are done at the state level, allowing those tax advantages not to just impact all rate payers, meaning consumers, but begin to impact the commercial sector, uh, you know, in, 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 a, in a greater fashion. If you're a corporation or a user, you know, interestingly enough, the place to start is not at the data center. The place to start is your application portfolio and what you're doing. <laughs> I, I always tell our clients, the best engineering is to make sure you're not doing what you did for years, which is, oh, geez, let's just buy some more servers, slam them in. Who cares about doing application control? And I think the whole cloud um, universe helped them because cloud, quite frankly, was expensive if you used it incorrectly. And I think a lot of corporations and a lot of private individuals realized that they had to be pretty judicious in their use of applications and communications back and forth to the cloud and their use of data. And I think that taught institutions to be clever with their app portfolios. The first thing is consolidate, and particularly for large corporations who I don't, will still build data centers, but not of the scale and those sort of wanton capacities that they did over many years. They use a phrase that I, you know, call data center sourcing, meaning how much goes to the own data center, how much goes to what I call an intermediate data center, meaning it's a co-location facility that has a cloud backend, either public or private, and then how much goes to cloud cloud. And I need to move my portfolios and understand that growth rate in that period of time. And it is amazing how much you can reduce the need for your data center load if you do that. And it's akin to, you know, if gasoline gets expensive, plan your trips. Um, and that's what they need to do with the app portfolios. The second issue is make a decision on the level of resiliency needed. The U.S. sort of grew up and Europe followed with the, you know, Uptime Institute Tier 3, you know, N plus 1 is the standard for resiliency. And it's a great standard. I'm not knocking it. It's, it's there. But for some users, it's not required. And that chews up a lot of power uh, when you do that. I, I still believe that there's a growing market, particularly for the small users, um, you know, 50 racks, 100 rack requirements. Um, going into colo, um, to use less than that standard, potentially repurposing older data centers right now without having to make that large-scale capital input and uh, coming up with the data center with a lower resiliency and using good standard disaster recovery, DR capabilities, by making sure your data is replicated someplace else. We do this for clients now. When we're helping them with data center sourcing, one of the first things we do is say, let's take off the table anything which does not have to be in a very high-end data center environment, and let's move it to other rational, acceptable environments. Um, and it's not so much that it lowers power. I don't need the duplication of power, the duplication of the physical capital assets at both locations, and the numbers of disks spinning and, and servers running. Um, so, so what I'm hearing, Kevin, is, is 
by reducing the levels of redundancy needed uh, in particular use cases and then kind of refining your own internal applications to use less power, be more efficient, is really a, 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 an answer to the rise Correct. of power costs globally. It's okay. one. Again, the solutions are always multiple. Um, you know, I, I make it akin to the 65-year-old guy who goes to the doctor for the first time in 10 years. It's never just, I have an elbow problem, you know. You, you, you cure yourself through multiple layers of change, and, and that's one of the layers of change that we, that we just talked about. Buying smart in the market, moving to locations that are potentially less convenient. So there are data centers going into places with cheaper power, um, states that we would not normally think of, you know, uh, North and South Dakota, Wyoming, uh, Wyoming Montana. Um, we all know about PAC Northwest. So you can go seek cheaper power sometimes cleaner power rather than want to everyone put your data centers in this, in what I call the NFL cities, you know, the major locations I can fly into and fly out of, you know, in a convenient space. And that distributes the power requirements. Incidentally, we have many clients right now who are trying to stand up data centers in these more remote secondary locations that have some power availability, slightly less convenient to get into power can be cheaper um, and the challenge there is just make sure there's robust enough network to be able to move the data back and forth. So that, that's, that, that leads me to the next point, network, right? As you get into these more remote locations, the challenge becomes, do yep. I have access? And access yep. to 99% uh, of the companies today is important. May not be latency sensitive, but it's still an important factor. Do you see the network infrastructure within the United States and other big major markets around the world um, moving along with this plan to help offset the need for such uh, expensive power? Um, I don't know if there's coordination between those two efforts. What I do know is that mile for mile, it's cheaper to bring in, you know, dark fiber to a location, theoretically, than to bring in hundreds of megawatts worth of power. And so, uh, you know, I have clients right now in some of those states that I just mentioned who are in secondary cities who have very, very good um, capabilities network within the confines of that secondary city and are willing to set things up several miles outside of that city using cheaper power or building uh, cogeneration capabilities uh, and spend the money to bring the network speeds in. I think that network companies are more willing to do that kind of investment if they know they have an anchor. So if you put a consortium together and you're going to be putting in, you know, 100 megawatts worth of campus computing, 200 megawatts over the course of multiple years, and they know the market is there, what you need to do early on is bring in those network providers and get them to come along for the ride uh, and provide it. Um, but, yes, I tend to find that it's easier to solve that networking issue. But, again, we get back to the app portfolio. Don't put your applications that require, you know, molecular modeling, rotating proteins, you know, if you're a pharma, you know, in real time. Uh, if you're doing transaction processing and you're trying to chase, say, um, an, an investment market, it's probably not the place to go. But if you're, you know, an average user storing data and you have low use and you can sustain the kind of millisecond delay, it's a perfect market for you. So what I'm hearing, gentlemen, is there are challenges mounting. 
but there still is a path forward. And maybe it requires a bit of flexibility and nimbleness, but you know, businesses can still be created, work can still be done. Yep. It's going to be okay. It might require uh, working with the right partner, uh, expanding this, the, the list of suppliers you might be willing to consider, as well as geography always playing a factor as, yep. as well. Right. I've noticed, you know, and it seems like what Kevin's saying is this can become a competitive advantage for advantage for some companies, right? To be able oh, yeah. to reduce your costs while your competitors are uh, the competitors have rising costs. Um, I've noticed, you know, most companies have a focus, right? And their focus is their business and their core competencies. It's very difficult to look outside and become an expert at everything. So, uh, you know, I definitely feel that uh, third parties would be. Uh, extremely resourceful when trying to analyze the future uh, for businesses. I mean, one of the things that, again, one of the major things that we do is provide long-term strategies like this for our clients. And it always amazes me that more companies don't recognize that a data center strategy is a pretty integrated thing into a company. Um, has a huge impact to OPEX and CAPEX long-term, if not done correctly, and to competitiveness. Um, and they don't plan the data center side of their you know, business strategies with the same kind of skill to match their, their business strategy. You know, I, I was very concerned years ago when everyone did this great push to the edge. Well, from a data center strategy standpoint, that presents some challenge and some network issues. Um, and there wasn't a lot of follow through in terms of what else do I need to drag out to the edge, okay, to be able to match that, that business philosophy. Um, for large multinational corporations, it's extremely important right now. You know, a lot of companies grew up having multiple data centers on multiple continents and are now looking to consolidate on multiple continents and doing the three-legged stool you know, major location in Europe, major U.S., major Asia pack, list, link them all together, a couple of DR locations at each of those on the continent, share critical data back and forth when legal and when necessary, and get out of having, you know, 20, 30 locations in Europe doing small-scale data uh, work, same thing in the U.S., same thing in Asia pack, and link them together. Uh, that sounds like an easy thing to do, but it's not. That's a multi-year project, takes a significant amount of planning to do. And so, again, your ability to take advantage of power cost, power availability um, is really based on an entire project, which needs to be thought out so that you can follow that. So it's one thing to talk about that strategy. It's another thing to drag the rest of the company with you and, in fact, make that happen. So, so and that's very interesting, but you're bringing up a very specific use case in a very specific type of company. These are the larger, let's call yep. it Fortune 500 companies. Yep. Yep. You know, the last decade has been around agility and, and the ability for these high-tech or new innovative companies to be yep. agile and spin stuff up on a yep. moment's notice. So how do you merge those two, right? How do you get the information you need as an organization to be efficient quickly? Yep. Well, I think largely the, the smaller guys have taken advantage of the, you know, the cloud uh, it, you know, explosion over the last couple of years because it works really well for them. The scale of everything is smaller. They can move around. They can take advantage of smaller um, co-location opportunities in multiple locations. They've resisted building their own data centers. Um, there was a period of time when we saw small companies that were, you know, 50 to 100 rack requirements essentially wanting to build out their infrastructure, you know, in a highly planned environment in a co-location facility. They've 
mostly given up on that and they're adopting uh, the back door, which is put something in a colo, have a back door out to a cloud and then manage that valve between what I have in a public private cloud and then what I need to retain within a colo as my own private, um, you know, work. And so it, it can be easier for them. Um, they, however, being faced with longer term contract requirements, um, it used to be that a lot of colos were willing to sign contracts for small users for you know twelve months or less. That's becoming more difficult as the amount of co-location facility available space begins to dry up. In particular markets, they're looking for longer term contracts, and so the ability to jump um, gets lessened. Uh, and that's where I said I think this uh, sort of barbell market needs to. Um, needs to flourish where you have the on one end the traditional you know co-location capability with the back door up the cloud and the other end you need to have good stable providers of smaller less expensive slightly less resilient facilities at a lower cost maybe in secondary locations to try and diversify that market um, so that they have a place in fact to turn to interesting <clears throat> I'm seeing the panic set in. I'm seeing, you know, companies yeah. get concerned, right? I mean, where's my infrastructure going to sit if there's no power left in a particular facility? Yeah. And they're pre-buying power. So they're buying power that they're not going to use today. They're paying for it. Do you yeah. think this is a smart move or do you think it's uh, something they should sit on? That's, a, that's well, um, if you're in a market that's prone to a moratorium, you have a limitation on pre-buying power, you know, putting money down. At the end of the day, there's lots of people who need to make money off of it, off of that power. Putting a, a hold or, you know, right of first refusal down is, a, is useful, but long-term, that's probably not, you know, a given solution. I, I have clients who are, in fact, buying lots of co-location facility uh, and reserving a lot of power within it and making a significant capital investment just to have that availability over three to five years. And they're willing to spend it because it's still, if you do the economics, it's cheaper than building something or rebuilding one of their existing data centers. They can do it. Smaller folks, a lot less. Um, you know, I think that the, for them, uh, you know, the hyperscale build market is one of the things which has, um, you know, spiked this issue. It was an explosion in the last five years. It chewed up an enormous amount of power. Most of the the, the colo providers, both to the existing market and the traditional investment colo market, turned to hyperscale as a way to, um, you know, relatively fast return, albeit thin margins, um, over a long period of time, chewed up a lot of power. And unfortunately, a lot of those designs were good, not great, mid-level PUEs. And there's an entire reserve of stuff that's that is built and is being built. Um, which serves that market, which controls a lot of power. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that within a five-year period, whether or not there's a re-engineering of those facilities to bring in alternate power as a way of bypassing the moratorium. And that's that sort of microgrid that I was talking about, um, assuming they have the space and they can get the, the permitting for that. Um, or doing major re-engineering of some of the sites that are already five years old, that in five years will be 10 years old, and could be made significantly more efficient, more effective in the use of the existing power. And I think that engineering alternative um, 
is something that's going to become a necessity in the, in the in the coming years. We simply can't build a lot of good facilities. We have to build better, more highly engineered facilities, which make significantly better use of uh, of available power. When we look into the future, I mean, as we've mentioned, challenges rising, but we know there's a path forward. Looking at the future, panic is on the rise as well, Greg. So you've got clients coming to you saying, what am I doing here? What is the first step you recommend a client take, given the current environment and what the future looks like? I, I mean, my, my opinion is pick up, you know, so it's back to the, the understanding that, you know, you're good at what you're good at. Uh, I think you got to look outside of your organization to really understand not just the global landscape, but to understand, you know, what this means to your organization. How do I become more efficient? Um, how do I position myself for scale, right? Not just today and not just two years from now, but 10 years from now, right? Predictability. And there's people out there, you know, um, I mean, not to plug the company, but like Upstack and EYP that could, could help uh, you better understand what that means to your business. Definitely plug the company, Greg. Good job. Upstack. Call us. Wow. <laughs> Kevin, it's our podcast. We can do what we want. Okay? This wow. is what I call turning. Now we're turning the AC up here, Kevin. Turn the AC up. Well, you, Kevin, you make, truly, I mean, what, where to begin? I mean, the it, landscape it, 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 it is, a good is ripe point. with pitfalls. Yeah. Um, most people have a knee-jerk reaction, and usually that's a has a bad outcome in a, in a short period of time. Um, it's looking at your requirements when, you know, panic can be a good thing because it forces people to have a higher degree of willingness to accept change and do um, more analysis than they normally would. When power and co when co-location was available and relatively inexpensive and not terribly competitive in terms of getting space and power was known and controlled and no moratoriums, it was an easy knee-jerk reaction. Let's just move to the next, you know, large market and, and acquire it. As that becomes difficult, power availability, all the things we just talked about, power costs are going to rise. Um, availability of co-location space in general has going to have challenges, particularly the, some types of the resiliency levels that people are looking at. You have to have a more planful approach to this. And I, I always say there are three things you need to look at in terms of your strategy. Your long-term risk. What impact is this new formula going to have on your business model in terms of your profitability, the markets, how quickly you can move, availability of your OPEX and CAPEX? And that's the second issue, your financial line. You need to look at this in terms of what is the what is the impact of cash flows and what are the impact of your profitability over a period of time because strategies – impact your bottom line. You have to be able to monetize a change in strategy and a change in your infrastructure costs to what your profitability looks like. And you might have multiple methods of solving the problem. I always say scenario analysis is a great thing. There are generally two, three ways to solve these kinds of knee-jerk problems. Look at them, analyze them within some degree of reason, understand the impact of your economics over a you know five- potentially longer year period, choose one that makes sense. And that loop back cycle, if that gets you back to having to change your business model slightly, understand where you're going to push your increase in cost to. Are you going to lengthen your recovery time frame for your capital investment? Are you going to have to pass some of that on to your clients? 
you know, um, it, it's there. It's, you know, mathematical equation, a little bit of science involved here, but it's homework that your teacher used to give you that we all never wanted to do. It's homework time again. You got to do it. Now I'm starting to sweat with the mention of, of homework. <laughs> well, with, with challenges rising, as we know, often there's opportunities to be had. So if you know where to look and maybe you know who to work with, those opportunities can be taken advantage of for the yep. long-term benefit of your, your business. So uh, well said, Kevin. What is, what is the first step you know, a client, a customer should should take? I mean, given all that's going on in the market and the changing landscape, you, a knee-jerk reaction is possible. But where, where do they begin? What's the right first move? Well, first move is not to let it get the knee-jerk, right? And I think that uh, this is a real issue. Um, unless you're on the inside, you're not seeing it unfold, and it's something that uh, everyone needs to pay attention to. So rising power costs, uh, availability of power um, is as real as it's ever going to be. Um, start to look inside your applications. Start to look inside your 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 application stacks, your your data center environments, and figure out how you can be more efficient, how you can build for scale, and um, we're here for you. Kevin, we, we could go on clearly, but we also recognize you have a day job, so we won't give away all the secrets on today's episode, but we do appreciate you being with us and truly our very first guest, our very first guest on the Upstack podcast. So we very much look forward to welcoming you back yeah. in the coming months. Uh, hopefully we're still around, Greg. We'll see. You're we'll appreciated, see Kevin. You're appreciated. Thank Very you. Fantastic. I had a lot of fun. And remember, we're all in this together. We are. We indeed are all in this together. And it truly yep. it is amazing to, to share knowledge and to speak to the power of the, the industry and we think the services we provide. So until next time, everybody, uh, this is the Upstack podcast. Thank you for listening to the Upstack podcast. Don't forget to like or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.